0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to Pillow Church of Oceanside. My name is Trace. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm one of the pastors here, and we're grateful that you have chosen to be with us this morning, rejoicing in this incredibly special day as, as Mike opened the service. He did preach my message for me, so I guess, go home. guess we can go. Um, no, we cannot. <laughs> This is a very uh, incredible day, as, as many of you know, even if you um, have not spent a lot of time in church, and just the world over uh, is familiar with the idea of Easter, what it is. Um, it's also referred to as Resurrection Day, as many of you know, um, because of what it represents. It's the culmination, really, of who Jesus was and what he accomplished. So, um Our friend Daniel down south at Pillar San Diego refers to this as the Super Bowl of of Christian holidays. Um, And I made the... No, I won't go there. It's okay. Uh, Yeah, it's the culmination. So this is a very, very significant moment in in the history of of the world, really. So on the third day, uh, after his resurrection, Jesus rose from the dead, fulfilled the promises of God that were actually given hundreds of years prior to the actual event, and in that act, Jesus achieved something tremendous, something really amazing, and so my hope this morning is to express to all of us what Jesus accomplished, what did he achieve, and then display for all of us that Jesus paid it all so that we could have it all. So as you're listening to to what we're saying this morning, just keep that at the back of your mind, if you would. Jesus paid it all so that we could have it all. And because I like alliteration, we're going to use four words to help outline this for us, Um, four Fs, that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus gives us. Again, aiming to show that Jesus paid it all so that we could have it all. And if you're an active listener, you're paying attention in any regard. You might be asking yourself, well, what is all exactly? If Jesus paid it all and we get it all, what is that? Well, that's a great question, and I'm glad you asked. We'll get there. But first, before we jump all the way into this thing, let me just pray for our time together, and then we'll get started. Okay? All right. Father, we just come to you right now in that name of Jesus, that name that is above every other name, and we're, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather this morning. Lord, we know that you are the one that spoke this universe into existence. You uphold it by the power of your word. And we're so grateful to be a part of what you've created. And Lord, we ask that you would be with us this morning. We pray, God, that you would allow for the word that you've given us to go out freely and without obstacle. Lord, I just ask that you would allow for each one here to receive what it is that you have for for them, particularly. Um, I'm confident, Lord, and believe that you brought people here for a purpose and for a reason. Lord and God, let us not move from this place without accomplishing what it is that you've called us to today. So thank you, Lord. Help me speak the truth and the truth alone. God, let anything that is not truth just call on deaf ears and let us raise up the name that is worthy to be praised. We ask for your help, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So something that we do here at Pillar every week uh, is we invite an opportunity for those that are sitting here to interact with us. So if you have questions about what you hear this morning, or perhaps what you don't hear, text those questions to the number that's in the digital bulletin. If you scroll down uh, past all of the the words that we just sang, pillaroceanside.com, digital bulletin, there's a number there. You text your questions. We'll come back up near the end of the service, and we'll we'll provide some feedback. Hopefully, we'll answer those questions as well. So, love for you to interact with us in that way. All right. So, Jesus, as we've been discovering through our sermon series, we've been going through the Gospel according to John on our regular Sundays. We've learned that that God, or rather that Jesus, is God incarnate. What what does that mean? (laughs) Well, another way of saying that is Jesus is God. He came down from heaven to be among his creation. That's you and me. And not just just because he wanted to check it out or see, you know, what it was like. (laughs) No, there was a plan and a purpose for Jesus. He came to make a way, like we just sang, for humanity all of us, to come back into relationship with the creator, with your creator, with my creator. He managed to walk this earth for 33 years, living a life that was pleasing to God, the Father. He was able to live free from sin, walking in perfect obedience, something that nobody else would ever be able to do. And that makes Jesus unique among all of creation, which is going to come to play here shortly. But some things have happened, my friends, that have kept us from enjoying a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And God, knowing that this would happen, that people would walk their own way and ultimately choose disobedience, He set a plan in motion that would solve this very big problem. In fact, he he made it clear, as I said, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. So people speaking on behalf of God were called prophets back in the day, and they uttered some very incredible words. And I want to read a couple of those for you right now. If you have a Bible, you can go there. If not, that's fine. I'm going to read out of the prophet Isaiah's chapter 53. So we're in Isaiah 53. Again, if you you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. Uh, Just hear hear me what I have to say here as I read the Word of God. Isaiah 53, I'm going to start in verse 3. And this is what it says. This is speaking of Jesus. Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and as one... From whom the men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But, verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's Isaiah 53. So these verses describe what took place on Good Friday. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus, having lived that life free from sin, free from disobedience, willingly laid down his life as a ransom for all of humanity, and because of that sinless life, remember I told you that that was going to come into play here shortly, because of that sinless life, he alone is an acceptable offering. As we just read, he was pierced for whose transgressions? Our transgressions. He was crushed for whose iniquity? Ours. That's you and me, our ways in which we have offended a righteous and perfect God because of our decisions to live for ourselves. So. Church, this is what happened on the cross at Calvary. Jesus suffered, and he died in our place. He paid the price that we could not pay. He settled the debt that we rightfully owed for our disobedience against God. In other words, the sin in our lives, the ways that we have gone astray, the anger we've harbored, the lies we've told, The lust we've had in our hearts for other people, the jealousy, the greed, all manner of selfish living landed us, my friends, in a very desperate place, and that place is guilty, guilty before God for breaking his commandments, unable to pay the steep penalty ourselves in need of a solution of our problem. So that leaves us in a pretty desperate place, right? But Isaiah 53, as we just read, he gives us the solution, it says, the Lord laid on him. On who? No. On, on, on him, on Jesus. The Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And his wounds, in his wounds, we are healed. So the solution, my friends, is Christ. Romans 5.8 says it this way. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. My friends, Jesus paid it all so that we could have it all. But he didn't stop there, did he? No, on the third day, he defeated death and he rose. On that Easter morning, the stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. Let me read from Luke. You can turn there if you like. Luke chapter 24. So you know, it's not just my words, but the word of God here Luke chapter 24 I'm going to start just in verse 1 this is what I just told you happened Luke 24 1 but on that first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they went in they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Sorry. And they remembered his words, and returning to the tomb, they told all the things to the eleven and all to the rest. His resurrection from the dead proves that Jesus is who he said he was. Up until that point, we're just we're, we're kind of trusting in what he said, trusting in what the prophet said, that this person was going to come, they were going to die in our place, offer forgiveness of sins, but... Until this moment, things were still hanging in the balance because we know that he was going to rise from the dead. This is a very significant moment. This is the reason Easter is so important to us as believers. Because if this didn't happen, we're in a bad way still. What do I mean by that? Okay. We're going to read the Apostle Paul. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians. Briefly. Now I'm going to read to you why this matters so much. Why this day, Easter, is so significant. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to start in verse 12. Paul here is talking to the Corinthian church about people being resurrected from the dead. Because they were convinced that resurrection from the dead didn't happen ever. This is Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Now, verse 16, here's where it gets real. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So if Easter didn't happen, we are done. We're dead in our sins. Everything that we believe is for naught, and we believed a lie. You see why this is so significant, right? Let your eyes go down then to verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man death came, that is Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be all be made alive. So you see Paul affirming that yes, he did in fact raise from the dead. And we're not gonna get into the historical facts, but I, I guarantee you if you if you doubt anything surrounding the resurrection do a little bit of knowledge do a little bit of searching for yourself and you'll find some very interesting things so jesus's life death and resurrection leading us to those four f's remember like 10 minutes ago i told you that i had these alliteration going okay now i'm going to get to that <laughs> i needed to spend a little bit of time explaining how these things are possible through who jesus is and what he did and so i hope that exclamation made some sense for you but let me briefly walk through these four f's and they will be brief the first one is forgiveness the first f is forgiveness now this one should be fairly clear for us jesus paid it all so that we might have forgiveness of sins so god being perfect and righteous he cannot and will not sweep our sin under the carpet he's simply not going to turn a blind eye and let us off the hook what kind of god would he be if he did that Would you want a judge to let a murderer off the hook just because he says he was innocent or, uh oh, it was his first time, he didn't mean to do it? Would you want a judge like that? No, he'd be a terrible judge. The justice would not win out. But with God being perfect in every way, judgment for our sin, for our breaking his law, is necessary in order for him to maintain his holiness, otherwise God is a liar when he says that he's just. So Jesus offers forgiveness of sin by taking on our sin himself. There's one scripture that I want to share with you that I think sums all of this up. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it explains. He says, for our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin So that we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God the Father made Jesus our sin. (laughs) He didn't know any sin. For what reason? So that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the amazing transaction that I explained earlier. Our sin exchanged for his righteousness. Not because of anything that we did. Only because of what Jesus did on the cross. So what is the first F? It's forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. The next one is freedom. Jesus paid it all so that we might have freedom. Now some of you might say, hey, I live in America, I'm already free. In a natural sense, you'd be right. That's not the kind of freedom we're talking about here, is it? The freedom Jesus offers is is something far more personal. I want to read something to you uh, that Billy Graham once said. He said, in the Bible, the loss of physical freedom was often tied to spiritual disobedience, like worshiping false gods. But time and again, the one true God forgave his people and rescued them. When God freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, he was foreshadowing the arrival of Jesus Christ, who came to free humanity from sin, the spiritual slavery that leads to death. Today, he says, many people are living in spiritual slavery without realizing it. They chase false gods of money, success, personal comfort, and romantic love, only to realize they still have an emptiness that can't be filled by any of those things. You see, the freedom, the kind of freedom that Jesus offers is freedom from condemnation. Look, my friends, we're all messed up. We all struggle every day. We miss the mark all the time. It's not like once you become a Christian, you magically stop sinning. It doesn't work that way. But there's no condemnation in Jesus when we do fall short. And the more we walk out the Christian faith, the more we understand what Paul said in Romans 6. This is what Paul said in Romans 6. He says, Once you were slaves of sin, but now... You wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you've become slaves to righteous living. So is perfection the goal? Is perfection in following Jesus the goal? Is it? I see some yeses and I see some noes and I see some, like, would you hurry up and get on with this? Here's my thought. Perfection is never the goal. Obedience is the goal. Obedience is the goal. Because perfection, as Tin Cup said, perfection is unattainable on our own. You don't know who Tin Cup is, and I won't go there, but um, it's a golfer from a great movie in the 90s. Anyway, <clears throat> perfection is not the goal, rather, a willing obedience, a willing obedience to live the life that Jesus calls us to live. Freedom from the punishment of sin, yes, that's huge. But freedom from the guilt and the condemnation of living in that very sin. You see, we are set free in Christ. That's a beautiful thing, my friends. A beautiful thing. So freedom is the second one. The next one is family. Jesus paid it all that we might be adopted into his family as sons and daughters. And again, you might be saying to yourself, you know what? I'm good, I already got family, I got parents, I'm all set. Well, yeah, we all do. Family is an amazing blessing to many people and they can be incredibly difficult as well. But regardless of your experience, family is an important aspect of our lives. So what this means for us is that relationally, we have a new status. You see, part of Jesus' mission was to reconcile all of humanity back to their Heavenly Father, which was impossible with sin standing in the way. Couldn't be done. Could not be reconciled back to God with the sin in the way. But through Jesus, we have this adoption into the family of God. And it allows us to stand where Jesus always stood, looking at Abba, Father. Being able to call on the Father. There are tremendous benefits, my friends, to having this kind of relationship with God. He calls us sons and daughters. That gives us special access to the creator of the universe. Makes me think of the a little story idea about the the harsh ruler uh, who is just an incredibly difficult man who you, you don't even want to go and talk to that guy because he's going to you know come at you who who is capable of coming to this man in the middle of the night <laughs> and asking him for a glass of water who would dare <laughs> approach this ruler And ask for a glass of water in the middle of the night. And it would be okay. The kid, the child. Now, of course, God is not that ruler, but you understand the the idea. Access and relationship is significant in what we gain through a life in Jesus. We are adopted as sons and daughters into the family. The last one, my friends. One of those benefits of being in that relationship with the Father is that we have a future. Jesus paid it all so that we might have a future. As sons and daughters, we've been reconciled back to God through Jesus. It it happened. He accomplished it. And we gain something. Eternal life. That's our future hope. Eternal life. And it sits at the heart of probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible. John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that what? Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life, whatever, however your translation leads you. And I don't know about you, but that brings tremendous peace, knowing that our future is set. We don't need to fear death. We don't need to lie awake at night wondering what will happen when we breathe our last breath on this planet. We know. The Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, the second to last chapter of the entire Bible describes this eternal setting. I'm going to read Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's a picture of what what waits for us in our future, in our hope of eternal life with the Lord. So Jesus paid it all so that we can have it all. And in order to to take advantage of that, to to lay claim to that, so to speak, of everything I just shared, there's something that we must do as well. Two things. Repent and believe. That's what Jesus told us. When when they asked him, what do we ought to do to be saved? Repent and believe the gospel. Repent. That is to change your mind about who God is and about your own sin. You see, we are not generally good people, (laughs) We have offended and sinned against the creator of the universe. And as we learned, that has consequences. Once we've changed our minds, then we've got to believe. Believe the gospel, the good news. That Jesus did exactly what Isaiah said he would do. He was pierced for our transgressions. And the blood that was shed by Jesus in that moment... God the Father uses, like like money, sort of, in a transaction to pay for our disobedience, our guilt for his perfection, that spiritual exchange that Jesus alone could validate. But it's not an intellectual understanding. It's not just enough to read that and go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I get that. The belief that we're talking about here goes to the core of who you are. Repent and believe. Believe. So, my friends, as we celebrate Easter 2021, would you you consider all that I've shared with you this morning for your own life? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or pray a prayer or even come forward. But I will tell you that what you just heard is the best news that you will ever hear. Period. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And apart from him, we are lost. Whether we can see it or not, the drowning person only calls for help if they know they're drowning. So Jesus paid it all so that we could have it all. Now we know what it cost him. And now we know what we gain in return. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we, we're so grateful that you did, in fact, pay it all in ways that don't make sense. Lord, your amazing grace, your favor, your love, we don't earn it. or there's nothing that we do that positions us to benefit from these things. You did the work. You made the way. And Lord, I just, I just... I want to pause and reflect and say thank you. Thank you for your, your life that you lived on this earth. Thank you for that Good Friday moment where you willingly hung on the cross, died in our place, received our punishment, and satisfied the wrath of God against that sin in a way that we could never do. And thank you that on that third day you rose again making it clear to the world that you are, in fact, the Son of God who made a way to be reconciled back to the Father, that we might have eternal life with you. So thank you. Thank you that you paid it all. And thank you that, Lord, all those that hear the truth of the gospel, the good news, would actually seriously... Consider what that means for their own lives. Let us praise you, Lord, for all those that are here today. Help us, Lord. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to understand the truth. We praise you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.